you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Welcome to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. I'm so glad you could join us tonight, and I hope you're having a great day in the Lord. Um, I'm sorry to tell you that my uh, co-host, Mark Danis, is not able to be with us tonight, but I do have a special guest, so I know you're going to enjoy this conversation, and I hope you'll be uh, a part of it with us. And the topic for this conversation is the letters of St. Teresa of Avila and what we can learn from her through these letters. Um, but with Every program, you know, we always like to start and end with prayer. So I've pulled this opening prayer um, from St. Teresa of Avila's The Book of Her Life. And so let us get recollected. Just put your worries aside and just take a big breath and blow out all that frustration <laughs> and breathe in the breath of God. And let us pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May you be blessed forever, Lord. May all things praise you forever, since while I write this, I am not freed from such holy, heavenly madness coming from your goodness and mercy, for you grant this favor without any merits on my part at all. Either desire, my king, I beseech you, that all to whom I speak become mad from your love, or do not permit that I speak to anyone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. So that's my prayer for you, too, that that all of us, that we become mad for love of God. <laughs> and so um, I want to introduce our special guest, who I think is mad in love with the Lord as well. This is Lisa LaRosa. Um, Lisa is a member of the Secular Order of the Discalced Carmelites community of our Mother of Good Counsel here in Dayton, Ohio, where our station, um, where we're broadcasting from tonight. She has two older sons, and she has homeschooled for many years. So that tells you a lot, because this is a lady that's very organized, right? Because all homeschooling moms are. <laughs> um, she's currently an administrative assistant, and she has an ardent interest in world history and in literature. So welcome, Lisa. Welcome to Carmelite Conversations. How thank, are you? <laughs> thank you, Francis. I'm well. It's an honor to be here with you. And this is your first time with us, but I hope it will not be the last. But um, I invited you on this program because um, the community of the Secular Order of Discussed Carmelites there in Dayton uh, had you do some presentations on the letters of St. Teresa. And I thought, oh, this would be great to have Lisa on the program to uh, share with us, you know, the wisdom that we can gain and the example that St. Teresa of Avila teaches us. And so I thought, um, I'm going to ask you to come on. So I'm so grateful that you accepted and that you're on the program tonight. So uh, let me just ask you um, right off the bat, what is it about her letters that interests you? Um at first, Francis, it was really difficult to try to, to get into the letters because you're, we were used to all of the doctrinal teachings and so forth. But, um, when I began looking at the letters, I thought, oh, this is a really great opportunity to get to know who Teresa 
is as a person or who Teresa was more than as just a teacher, but in her ordinary everyday life and and really kind of relate to her a little bit more. Oh, and I think we're going to see that as you share more on um, some of the letters that you've selected tonight. Um, but let's, uh, for the benefit of our listeners, uh, I, I would think most of them know or have at least heard of the name, St. Teresa of Avila. But in case there's anybody who, who wants a, an, an introduction, give us just a little synopsis of who Teresa is. Well, first and foremost... Teresa is a great Catholic treasure. She was a Carmelite nun. She was born in 1515, lived around the time of the Reformation, and was, um, as you know, largely responsible for the reform of the Carmelite order. And she's the foundress. Mm-hmm. Um, she has great teachings for us on prayer, on the spiritual life, and on the mystical life and was canonized and is a doctor of the church. So she, we can fully embrace what she has to tell us. All right. So she's one of the bigwigs because I think there's only 36 doctors of the church and she's one of them. I think, what, four women now? I'm not sure. I can't remember exactly, but I think there's four women. So I'm, I'm rooting for her. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, well, we know she wrote a lot because she was ordered to write. And, and so, um, she still, though, did not consider herself a writer, uh, but because she was ordered to write, she wrote. However, I know her letters compile a, a, almost half of, of everything she wrote. So um, I, I wanted you to give us a little bit of background on Teresa's writing. Okay. I, well, I was interested because she always says that she's not intellectual and she's not a writer. But when I actually began looking at the things that she did write, um, I really kind of found out that the, quite the opposite was true. Um, she, she and her brother, as you know, um, wrote a novel when she was 16. And, and I think he was a little bit older. Um, and, and from all, accounts it was fairly well done and reflected fairly mature writing but as you know later on she's going to go on to write many other things and what was this novel about do you have any idea what the topic was it was a novel of of chivalry so i imagine it had to do with knights and <laughs> knights and, and shiny armor <laughs> <laughs> i remember reading those when i was little <laughs> yeah yeah so and i'm sure they were very popular at that time all right, so so she starts out by writing this novel, and then, of course, as she enters the convent and um, now uh, has this great conversion and now is experiencing these supernatural favors of the Lord, of course, she's very responsible for all this uh, information and, and experience. And, of course, um, thanks be to God, she was ordered to write all of these down. So she had four major works. Could you tell us a little bit about those just for... Um, uh, the four major background? works um, were the Book of Her Life and the Way of Perfection, which, as you know, are uh, more narrative accounts of her life. Um, and she wrote also The Interior Castle um, and, and the Book of Foundations, which are more... Um, doctrinal about the spiritual life right and and the book of foundations is is really uh us walking with her as she founds all these new convents uh of the nuns and and the hardships she's went through and oh that's uh pretty i'm sorry francis can i make a correction um the narrative books are the book of her life and the book of the foundations okay all right The, the interior life and the way of perfection are the doctrinal and 
Right, because I think the the way of perfection has that wonderful. Ha- the last half of that book is about the Our Father, a meditation on it. Oh, it is so deep and so beautiful. So, if yes. any of our listeners have not read the Way of Perfection and you want a great meditation on the Our Father, this is one done by a saint, <laughs> a doctor of the church. So, um, well worth looking into. And of course, we know the famous interior castle is about the the spiritual journey, uh, growth in the spiritual life. Um, so um, now she's got several minor works that many people have never heard about. Could you tell us a little bit about those? Yes. She wrote um, Meditations, which were biblical commentary, um, which she tells us by her own admission that um, is something that unlearned people should not do and yet um, in her experience she ventures forth and does it yeah I think um, what was it the song of songs right Right. that she wrote and and of course women were not supposed to be writing so much uh, for that point but she was really there to help the nuns learn right and to share so right Um, she had spiritual testimonies which were about her own life that were primarily meant for her her confessors and her directors and for her own personal use. And we really get into her heart in those, don't we? Yes. I mean, because those are intimate moments uh, that she shared. And, and, oh, my gosh, we get to peer into that. And right. And through all these writings, um, including the letters that we're going to talk about, um, we see different aspects of Teresa. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, by the end, we'll, we're going to have a really full picture of who she was and mm-hmm. what her life was like. And why she's a saint and a doctor of the church. Right. <laughs> and so good for all of us. <laughs> all right. What else did she write? She, she also wrote, um, some constitutions for the, for the, um, nuns and were actually modifications of the rule that the nuns had to follow. Although I don't believe she, um, was officially given credit for those writings. She was largely responsible for them. Okay. She she wrote um, um, for Father Gracian. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, he was going to examine her nuns, and um, he wanted her assistance with that and asked her to write down some instructions for him. And although she was not a writer, we're told <laughs> that she quickly pens 43 pages for him. <laughs> well, she she was good at knowing, you know, what needs to be done. She was a great organizer, and she had a great sense of vision, uh, of knowing where they're at and and where they need to, to be and how to get there and, and to do it, you know, to please the Lord. So, um, Right, uh, but as you know, knowing something and being able to write it down quickly for someone that that takes some writing skill i think i think it does and i think it also it also takes grace yes <laughs> somebody asked me francis are you ever going to write a book i'm like no uh, if you ever get a book out of me you know the lord did it through me <laughs> because i'm not a writer either um and then um so i i think it's interesting that that she's uh writing these instructions um uh, but she she knows you know, some of the problem areas and what needs to be looked at. So I, I think that's interesting. But but I was like, well, don't they have these instructions written anywhere else? <laughs> but I don't know. Uh, um, but we do have that writing there. And um, so we can have access to reading that. I wonder if that will help um, secular communities prepare for canonical establishment. I know the Dayton community is um, looking hopefully, to do that. And so maybe there'll be some sage advice for us as we look at that. All right, what else? Because I know there's much more. Yes, she wrote um, She wrote some satire. Uh, she wrote a spiritual challenge where we actually see a little bit more of that 
um, chivalry background, Mm -hmm. Francis, because only this time it's about knights in a spiritual tournament. Mm. I haven't had the good fortune to read that one, but I'm really looking forward to it. I wonder if that would make a good play. You know, it just gives me a sense. I can almost see it and visualize it. So... All right. And I know um, she wrote some soliloquies. She wrote some soliloquies. Yes. And I, weren't those, um, I, if I understand that correctly, these were written at like um, post-communion meditations. So maybe her prayers to the Lord just following Mass. And I'm like, wow, to have that written down and to have access to that, you know, to really be part of her prayer. Um, so intense. Just wonderful. Um, right, and that particular um, writing was designed to um, to also be an outpouring of emotion to let the thoughts of the individual come out. You know, yeah. which um, which really requires again some some skill as as well as grace um, with the writing. And as you know, she also wrote uh, quite a few poems. Now, is she famous for her poems? Um, I don't believe that uh, she is famous for her poems. But there were um, there were quite a few poets who who were aware uh, of her spiritual writings. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking in those days that the the nuns uh, to celebrate somebody's name day or their profession or what else as a gift as a spiritual gift, you know, many times they would write a poem. So sometimes it was uh, you know this was their gift because they you know they don't have money to go to you know the local store and buy stuff, and of course you know that's not their their way to do things anyway um so i think maybe some of the poems were written that way uh or to celebrate a holiday christmas you know um but i you know i think uh, in the um collected works um which can be found at the institute of carmelite studies um at www.icspublications.org we like to put in a plug for them because um we think they have some of the greatest Carmelite books ever. Um, but they have uh, three volumes of Teresa's collected works, and they also have two volumes of her letters. That's a lot of letters. Yes. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, we, we want you to know where you can have access to those. We really like those uh, translations. But so many of her poems are in there, and I, I think the famous bookmark is in that section of poems. Uh, but I don't think she's recognized for her poetry like John of the Cross would be. No. Uh, certainly he, he stands out in in his poetry in that regard but of course uh, we, we have all her prose writings uh, I mean her her major works that uh, geez oh my gosh aren't we blessed so that leads us uh, to the point of her letters right right all right and and I know these two volumes uh, that are on the ICS publications uh, website which can be ordered uh, they're divided up um, from 1546 through 1577 is the first volume, and then 1578 to 1582 is volume two. So there's a lot of letters, um, and I'm sure this is not all of her letters, right? No, there were there were quite a few letters that um, that were destroyed, um, we believe, because. Um, during times when her writings were censored and stuff, a lot of people would not keep her letters um, and would destroy them. So there were probably quite a lot more um, than what we have. And just like we do today, not everybody keeps all the letters that right. somebody sends you. So just normal uh, getting rid of letters. But, you know, some people did choose to 
keep them. Yes. Unfortunately, John the Cross was not was one of not them. Was not one of them. He yeah. probably he probably burned them as an act of mortification. <laughs> you know, <laughs> probably. <laughs> and, and it could be that you know that was something that was so intimate and special that you know you didn't want to hang on to them because if they got in the wrong hands, you know that that could be distorted and taken out out of context, and that could be bad. And of course, you know what was the postal system like back in Teresa's day? Can you shed any light on that? Yeah, it wasn't terribly. Re- reliable, Francis. Um, a lot of times Teresa would have to write three and four copies of letters right. and send them by different methods in order to be certain that they would arrive at their intended destination. And sometimes they didn't even then. Yeah. Can you imagine doing that? For no. Just trying to get... And you don't even know for sure if they got it. And, and you'll find out a month later. I'm like, can you imagine what Teresa Vala would have been like if she had email? <laughs> And then the saints in the future, they're going to be talking about email, right? Right. <laughs> That'll be interesting. <laughs> Does anybody save their emails? Well, I save a lot of my emails, but I know most people delete their emails. This probably explains why I have so many. <laughs> you have to. So I wonder if that would mean we would have more down the road or would we have fewer, you think? Yeah, I don't know. So, well, we know these letters cover a, a great period of her life, and, and she is still growing. I mean, the first letters are back in 1546, and, and she's uh, still journeying to that spiritual marriage. And so, um, you know, we, we get to witness her conversation with other people through her letters as she is on this journey. So I think that's really great. And, and I know that she wanted, she loved people. I mean, that's why she was always in the parlor, right? Before she right. founded the discoust. Um, actually she founded these, uh, to revert back to the primitive, uh, way of the order. And so it wasn't necessarily she was trying to create a new order. She just wanted to get back to the heart of the matter. And, um, now we refer to it as the discoust, um, because of, uh, the primitive nature and and because of the austerities that she had and and you know that she wanted to get back to the prayer which was you know the the charism of carmel but um she loved people and she was very popular in the parlor and so it does not surprise me that she wrote a lot of letters <laughs> she's a people person and i think there's um about I, th- I think what it said in the book was 468 letters, uh, and that's only the ones they found. <laughs> so, right. All right. Well, we want to get into um, a little bit about that. But, you know, um, to set the stage, I found this quote, and it's from the book of her foundations. And I think it gives us an insight to her heart that she shared in her letters. And so I thought maybe I would share that with our listening audience. Um, here's the quote, and this is coming from St. Teresa of Avila. Okay, so she's talking to you and me, right? She says, My desires to be of some help to some soul, as time went on, had grown much greater. And I often felt like one who has a great treasure stored up and desires that all enjoy it, but whose hands are bound and unable to distribute it. I was so grief-stricken over the loss of so many souls that I couldn't contain myself. I cried out to the Lord, begging him that he give me the means to be able to do something to win some souls to his service. And boy, did she, and does she still. Um, and that my prayer would do some good, since I wasn't able to do anything else. 
I was very envious of those who, for love of our Lord, were able to be engaged in winning souls, though they might suffer a thousand deaths. This is the inclination the Lord has given me, for it seems to me that he prizes a soul that through our diligence and prayer we gain for him, through his mercy, more than all the services we can render him. And and so I thought, man, as I read that quote, I'm like, yes, she has this desire to be of some help to souls. And certainly she has totally fulfilled that. And she's still working in from heaven, I'm sure. Yes. So um, given a list from the leaders of our order, um, we were given a list uh, from the order uh, of some letters, uh, because this is the one of the years that we're preparing for the fifth centenary of Teresa's birth. Uh, she was born in 1515, so in 2015 will be our 500th celebration. And so the order uh, gave us a list of letters that they thought were, you know, probably, you know, since we we can't read every letter <laughs> um, in the amount of time that we have allotted, because we were trying to read all of these major works, um, you know, they pointed out some letters that were of more import than others. And so I think that's where you're going to be talking with us about um in, in our discussion. Um, so, uh, let's, let's talk about, you know, what, what are some points about these letters? Um, what, what do we know? Um, why, why should we be interested in these? Well, uh, in these letters, Francis, as, as you know, um, Teresa is concerned about her relationships with people. Mm-hmm. Um, she's concerned for their spiritual welfare, um, she, she wants to remind them of our Lord constantly and, and draw their attention to that when, um, when, if perhaps they forget. And, um, I think it's also important for us to, to understand that, you know, a lot of times I know, at least for myself, when, when I think of a saint, I, I think of sometimes a goal or a lifestyle that's really unattainable for the average person. Right. But, you know, Teresa is here to show us that, um, that that's not true. You know, that, that in a lot of ways she, she is that average person. And I think these letters really make her life, um, more comparable to ours, even though it was such a long, long time ago. And so that we can see that, uh, sainthood really is something we ought to be striving for. And, you know, even though she was a cloistered nun, she was really out in the world quite a lot right. because she was, you know, making these foundations. And so uh, she was quite an administrator and uh, she's uh, quite the businesswoman. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, that should give us help, uh, hope in, in the world. Those of us who are, are lay people that even in the midst of our jobs that, you know, we can grow in holiness. And by, you know, learning from Teresa how she managed this, uh, and how she was tactful, how she encouraged, how she reprimanded, um, how she helped people learn to discern because <laughs> right. they weren't discerning too well. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think there's one of the letters that, um, that we might talk about tonight that, that talk about discernment. Um, but anyway, so she, she really is writing with great candor. With great love, uh, and and the fact that she's bringing up the Lord all the time just shows me how much He's on her mind, and you know, isn't that a blessing? Because she's walking the walk and talking the talk. Yes, yes, so, she is. And uh, I also was uh, struck by her great concern for people's health, because in all of her works, she does mention it from time to time, but in her letters, it's constant. Almost every letter she writes, there's something about somebody's health. You know, Francis, I was thinking about that too before I, before I left today to come here because 
I was thinking that, you know, that even that is really not unlike what we do at, at our Carmelite group, right. you know, because in that group, we've, we've come to experience, um, some people we care about deeply, um, who are dealing with some very, um, terrible health issues. Oh, big trials. Mm-hmm. And, and those are big trials for people. And it's important that we lift each other up during that time. And, and we see Teresa doing that here, you know, and she's mentioning her health. And it seems to me like perhaps health was, um, you know, just general bad health and, and not some big issue that they were dealing with seems like it was more prominent. Um, but, but we're like that in our group. Yes, too. indeed. What a nice insight. And, you know, when somebody's not healthy, that's suffering. And I think Teresa's really, um, keyed in on the value of suffering. And so helps to encourage people to, to see the suffering as, as the gift that it is that helps us to learn to love and to grow in compassion. And so, um, I, I'm I'm just amazed that you know there was so much attention to that. Uh, but she has a, a a lot of uh other things, you know, warnings, apologies, um, just uh concerns about you know packages arriving, etc. And of course, people had to uh, whoever was writing the letter had to pay the uh had had to make the receiver pay for it, as opposed to what we do, at least in the United States. We, we put the stamp on the envelope ourselves, so we pay for it up front. But they have to pay for it on the receiving end. So I'm like, well, geez, if, if you write me a letter and I don't want to hear from you, then <laughs> maybe your message is never going to hit home. <laughs> right. All right. Well, I see we're, we're coming up to our break time. And so after our break, we're going to come back and we're going to dig into some of the letters and you gave us some an introduction to that. So I ask our listeners to please stay tuned. And, and while we're on break, say a little quick prayer. And we'll be back in just a few minutes. The Lord sent me to Mary As she was praying in the sun I said, Hail Mary, favored one, the Lord is with you. Mary, it is true. She did not understand. She said, Shall I touch the sky with these small hands? A peasant girl from Galilee, destined to become the Queen of Peace. And all the heavens and God will never abuse 
listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. I have a guest with me, Lisa LaRosa, and we're talking about the writing and the letters of St. Teresa of Avila. And so we're just now going to get into those letters. So, Lisa, where do you want to begin on the letters? Well, we're going to begin with letters 2, 24, and 39. Okay. Um, these are letters um, to Teresa's brothers and brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, letters 2 and 24 are to her brother, uh, Lorenzo de Cepeda. And Lorenzo had been in the, what, the the Indies? Um, yes. And he was going to come back eventually, and he made a fortune. So he was yes, supporting, he, he was sending money to help her. <laughs> and Teresa was very grateful for that and always encouraging him to send a little bit more uh, when he could. Yes. Um, Lorenzo was also um, the sibling that Teresa was closest to. Later on in his life, she becomes his spiritual director, mm-hmm. and um, and he also later on begins to uh, follow the rule um, that Teresa followed as well because of what a wonderful spiritual director he had. Yes. Um, and and letter number thirty nine is to Doña Juana de Ahumada, uh, which was also Teresa's sister from her father's uh, first marriage, mm-hmm. and. Um, in these letters, um, Teresa also mentions other siblings, okay. uh, Geronimo de Cepeda, um, Augustine, and Pedro de Ahumada. And she's always concerned about their, their spiritual welfare. Mm-hmm. Um, Lorenzo, of course, is, is more spiritual, and so is, uh, is Juana. She's a very spiritual person, I believe. Um, Teresa says she has the soul of an angel. Oh, yes, indeed. And... Um, she also speaks of an older sister, Maria. And um, Teresa, in fact, had nine brothers and sisters. A couple of them died um, young in, in America. Rodrigo, the one she wrote the novel of sh- chivalry with. Yes. Um, he passed away in America uh, quite young. But in these letters, you, I think you see that she maintains relationships, even though she's a cloistered nun. Uh, she maintains quite close relationships and is always concerned about how the things are going to affect those relationships. And I think in this this one letter to Lorenzo, there is a great story of St. Joseph. Uh, could you kind of share what's going on here? Yes, um, Teresa believes that Saint that that the money that Lorenzo sends her for this foundation um, is a miracle, and that Saint Joseph wanted her to have it um, because she needed a specific amount of money, and he was um, prompted. Teresa believes by God at the last minute to send a little bit extra, and it just so happened that that little bit extra was exactly what was needed. And of course she didn't have money to pay. I think she wanted to buy this house to make a convent and she didn't have the money to do it. And yet she, she uh, was told by St. Joseph, you know, to go ahead. Right. And so she's trusting in God alone because she says, I'm entering into an agreement with the workers. It seemed a foolish thing to do because she has no money. <laughs> right. But she entered that agreement anyway. <laughs> on faith. About, yeah. Faith and divine providence. <laughs> um, and, 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 
yes, she was rewarded. She says, but then his majesty comes along and moves you to provide for it. And, and isn't that great that Teresa points out how others are cooperating in God's plans? Yes. Because uh, she says, and moves you to provide for it. And what amazes me is that the 40 pesos you added was just what I needed. And I believe that St. Joseph, after whom the house will be named, wanted us to have the money, and I know that he will repay you. Uh, she's always pointing out the generosity of God so that, you know, whatever you're doing to to aid the works of the Lord, he will not be outdone by you know, your generosity. So uh, I think that's pretty amazing. So we, that that's a great little story on St. Joseph. And I think she mentions that in a couple of different places. So um, I'm glad you we're talking about that one. Yeah. Teresa also... Um she talks about, as you know, um, a lawsuit that was yes. happening within the family. And, and later on, she's going to talk about, um, her, her sister Juana's husband is opposing a passageway that, um, is supposed to be built within one of the convents. Uh, Teresa's very concerned about these things happening because she knows how these things can tear families apart. And um, even though she thinks maybe that there might be some legitimate claims in the lawsuit, um, which which was happening because her father's um, possessions were not divided equally amongst all of his children. Mm. And money can be such a source of contention. Right. Mm. Even in this day. <laughs> and Teresa knows that she mentions on various occasions um, how she she takes little to nothing for herself except for some bread because she knows you know she's fully accountable for the monies that are coming to her and um and she wants other people to be aware in these letters too specifically in letter two here you know about how people can let money come between them yeah she says um, she says god deliver me from the self-interest that brings so much harm to one's relatives it has reached the point here that it's a wonder if there's a father who cares about his son or a brother who cares about his brother right and Mm. so she's you know in these letters you know she's she's mentioning these things hopefully to to bring people back to their senses and it does appear that um uh, she says here at one point thus um Juan de Ovalle set aside this litigation now out of love for me. So she, <laughs> so she has apparently applied some pressure there. Uh-huh. Um, and her sister's husband is, you know, is backing off of the lawsuit uh, a bit for love of her, which is a, a wonderful way for her to use her influence with them. Right. And, and she's doing all this from the convent, right? Correct. Uh, so <laughs> good, good influence. So. Um, in letter number, can we move yeah. on to the next letter? In letter number 24, um, we discover that her brother Lorenzo, near and dear to her heart, um, is coming back to Spain. He's coming back um, from the Indies. He, he has lost a, a wife and has several children to take care of, and um, which I imagine it was just as hard back then as it is now for uh, a single person and um, but Teresa is there to to help him along and um, offers advice about um, providing that good Jesuit school for the kids to attend Francis (laughs) yeah and she really talks about how wonderful Avla is as a place to educate and and to develop spiritual friendships so right (laughs) great guidance (laughs) and I wonder also if, if there isn't an element of her gathering the family brood 
back to her because she mentions that it would also be an excellent place for Juana's health and um, and for Geronimo's health, which yeah. was a younger brother who I'm gathering she didn't see very often. And I think, you know, her, her biggest goal, though, is their spiritual development. And because I know here in the letter, she says, in all of our monasteries, we are praying especially and unceasingly that since your intention is to serve our Lord, which he's, of course, reinforced. His majesty will bring you safely to us and guide you toward what will be most beneficial for your soul and your children. So, um, you know, uh, a constant reference to, you know, you, the Lord and, you know, your intentions and, and growth. And and then I like how she addresses health because, you know, in these um, long trips or or. Or just in the midst of the, the, the family trials, there, you know, usually some family member who's sick. And she says, so when the Lord sees that it is necessary for our good, he gives health. When it is not, sickness. All right, so there's a sage piece of ice. If you're well, that's for your benefit. If you're sick, that's for your benefit. Right. <laughs> you know, she, and she says, may he be blessed for everything. I, I think this shows Teresa's equanimity of spirit. And she says... I was distressed that the illness you had was in your eyes, which is a painful thing. Glory to God that there's been so much improvement. So um, the compassion and yet knowing that the Lord is working in all those illnesses and how, how she points that out in her little letters. Right. Um, she also, um, in, in this letter, she mentions that um, she doesn't understand how people are so, so blind and trusting her. <laughs> Which I find, which I find odd. She's like, there's even people who will lend me money, one or two thousand ducats. And I'm surprised that, um, you know, Teresa lived in, she's very concerned about other people's poverty, especially her sister Juana, who, um, and she, I, and she petitions her brother Lorenzo to give her some money. Um, but Teresa herself, took very little um i believe it says in in the first letter that we we saw that um in one of the footnotes that the nuns at the incarnation often um were very poor even though some goods were held by some of the nuns that were not held in common the house was very poor and so they were lucky if they had bread right a lot of times um so to see her concerned about other people's poverty when she lives in it and right. and embraces it um, really, really shows her great depth of, of love right. for people. And I think, you know, she's getting all this money coming in to build all these other foundations. And, you know, and yet she herself is abhorring riches. <laughs> right. And she says, so just at a time when I have come to abhor money and business affairs, the Lord desires that I deal with nothing else, which is no small crime. And I think, you know, what? that's the kind of person you need to be putting in charge of banks. It's the people who don't want money. Right. <laughs> because they're going to try to spend it to the best of, of their ability. And, um, you know, uh, she, yes, it was a big cross for her. And yet she fulfilled it uh, to please him. She says, may it please his majesty that I serve him in this manner, for all things will pass away. Uh, I always focus on please 
because I think the Therese Red Teresa's works, the little flower, Red Teresa of Avila's works. And, you know, the little flower was so good about talking about pleasing the Lord. I think she picked that up from Teresa because Teresa was always talking about may it please the Lord. Right. But, you know, uh, Teresa does talk about, you know, uh, her grief of the souls that are being lost, the uh, you know, through uh, not being taught the faith or uh, through falling away from the faith. And she says, we do not understand the great dignity of our soul and we undervalue it with things as cheap as those of the earth. May the Lord give us light. And this dignity of the soul, that is um, a big theme in, in Tira Castles on that, the first mansion, you know, setting the stage of the great dignity of our soul. So even in these letters, you can see uh, some of these other works, uh, the seeds already planted here that, that will come to fruition later. Correct. <clears throat> All right. Where do we go to next? Okay, we're going to go to um, letters 38 and 41. Teresa um, writes, as you know, often to prominent members of society. Uh, Letter 38 is to Doña Luisa de la Cerda. She's the daughter of a duke. And Doña Maria de Mendoza um, is the sister of the Bishop of Avila. And so um, we're going to see in these two letters that she is always very careful um, to address these women with great respect. And really, everyone, she she writes, she addresses them with great respect, although she herself, as you know, uh, abhorred the titles. Um, yeah, doesn't want anybody to address her that way, but, but yet she'll address them. Right. Um, and um, I think she understands well, Francis, that that a lot of times those titles um, make people tend to overestimate themselves. <laughs> and she says that it goes against the, the spirit of their order. And so, um, but she's always very careful to use those um, titles of respect with people. And it really does, um, and it really does help her, help her to achieve what she's trying to achieve in her letters. In, in the first letter, um, she writes to a woman who was very wealthy, and Teresa had thought at one time that perhaps this woman would help her to uh, f- make a foundation yes. that would give her money for to purchase a house and in order to start a foundation. But in fact, um, she does not okay. um, give that money to Teresa. And so you might think that, um, you know, in that type of situation, one might easily write that person off, right? <laughs> but Teresa doesn't. She maintains contact with her. And in this letter, um, her, her son has died. And, and we really see what a great spirit Teresa has because there's no sign of, of discontent in Teresa when, when she writes to this woman. Um, mm-hmm. she's still very respectful. Um, and, uh, and she's concerned about the many trials that this woman is, is facing um, with her health and, and in her life. Well, and I like but, what she said um, in regards to the death. She says, um, I share so much in your trials that when this suffering is added to the many I have here, you know, the news that her son is suffer- has died, she says, I'm no longer worrying about asking our Lord for any more. May he be blessed for everything 
for he it truly seems that you are among those who will enjoy his kingdom since he gives you to drink from the chalice through so many illnesses both your own and of those your love i once read in a book that the reward for trials is the love of god boy that is really a potent statement that the reward for trials is the love of god for so precious a return who will not love them so i beg you to do so and to note how all things pass away journey by detaching yourself from everything that does not last forever so she's encouraging her maybe she was caught in her grief and Teresa's is trying to move her beyond you know to to get out of that and and to appreciate the value of suffering right but I, and i just love in those two paragraphs that you just read francis how 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 tenderly and how gently she approaches it um with this lady um yeah, and, and, you know, that is what we need to approach anyone who's lost a loved one or who is suffering uh, a, a great illness. You know, that tenderness, that compassion, and, but also to, to spiritually help them, let them know the value of suffering. Suffering united with our Lord, we know is redemptive. So any one of you listeners out there that are suffering right now, uh, whether it be a headache or a broken arm or, you know, whatever your situation is, you know, Life is full of sufferings. It's full of joys. We have a, a lot of experiences, but, you know, suffering and prayer are two vehicles of really helping us grow. And um, so I encourage us, you know, all of us to, to keep praying and always offer all the little sufferings, big sufferings, little sufferings, all sufferings, uh, offer them up in union with the Lord because that is redemptive. And, you know, it is a, it's in our catechism. So you can look it up that information. But, you know, Teresa also shows us how important this suffering is. And, and, you know, that's one of my prayers is to please, Lord, help me understand um, this value of suffering, um, because I know the saints loved it. And, you know, we always remember, you know, pick up your cross and follow me. And so that cross is the suffering. So, uh, but, you know, as I've often said, how do we grow the most? Uh, is it it's through our joys or is it through our sufferings? And people inevitably say it's through our suffering that I've learned the most. So. Right. And, you know, she was, um, what's amazing about this, too, is that she was going through a great deal of trials herself mm-hmm. um, at the at the incarnation, you know, where there were a lot of nuns who weren't necessarily so happy about her being prioress. Yeah, they, they she was put in that position. They didn't vote her in that one. And uh, she was being obedient. This is the one where she puts the statue of Our Lady in the prioress's chair. <laughs> right. I was like, boy, that was so <laughs> that was smart. <laughs> so smart. <laughs> But, but, you know, it's real easy for us when we're in our own trials um, to forget others. But I think that um, we see here again and again in these letters how, how Teresa just does not do that. Yeah, and I, I know um, there's one more little line here about um, the value of suffering that I wanted to point out. Um, because I think it gives us uh, some indication of how we can... Uh, talk with others. She says, may our Lord give you eternal happiness. So, you know, for the life hereafter, may our Lord give you eternal happiness and rest because for some time now you have given up happiness and rest in this life, though you do not yet appreciate the value of suffering. I'm like, oh man, if I got that in the letter, I'm like, oh, 
she got me. It's true. And so that also tells you, okay, so how can I learn? Because obviously this is coming from a nun, someone who loves me, and she's saying this for my benefit. And so Teresa encourages She says, she says, the day will come when you will understand what you have gained and that for nothing in the world should you ever want to lose it. And she also ends, Francis, too, by telling her that... Um, she says she cannot go any, on any longer because the messenger is waiting to take the letter. But but she says, save to kiss the hands of my ladies many times. Uh-huh. And I think that is just so um, tender of her again at the end um, for someone who's just lost a son. An expression of love like that is extremely important, I think. Right. All right. And so then there was letter 41. Let's do a quick quick highlight of, of some of the uh great gems. I think this is the one where she's talking about the signs of a vocation. So she's teaching um, to teaching the prioress how to discern the vocation. Right. Which would be good for us as, as lay uh, Carmelites in, in our secular orders. We have um, the council um, takes part in the discernment process and so we too have to learn how to discern vocations for ourselves uh, and for others. We, we aid in that process. So what does she uh, do here in this letter that it's so amazing it's a great letter (laughs) i I find this letter really fascinating because here we see teresa's um savvy and and know-how with people because um doña maria de mendoza wants to admit um a, a couple of people to to the monastery that um was to house just a few nuns i believe not a lot of nuns and teresa doesn't think that one particular selection is a very good idea. And yet, Donna Men- Mendoza has the final authority here. That's correct. So, so Teresa would be under obedience to her. Right. And Teresa is careful in the letter to always defer to her, but always persistently reminding her of why it might not be a good idea. You yeah. know, she says, I, ca- I always defer to you um, and to your wisdom, and then, then she says, but on the other hand, and, and she brings to mind, you know, once, once you get this novice into your monastery and the problems, um, start happening, you know, you will regret having mm-hmm. done this and, um, will, will possibly not be able to reverse it. <laughs> and then you will have a lot of problems. And so, and, but, but again, she's, she's always gently reminding her that, um, that this is not a good idea, but always deferring to her at the same time. Yeah, she says, to, to satisfy my conscience, I cannot neglect to mention to you what, after recommending the matter to the Lord, I would do in this case. <laughs> so she, she's subtly letting her know what she would do and why she would do it, and yet, uh, staying the ground of obedience, which is very, very important. Right. And, um, I, I just thought, hmm, I, I would have loved to seen the answer to that letter. <laughs> and of course she, you know, she says, may our Lord ordain what is for his greater glory and enlighten you so that you do what is most fitting. <laughs> <laughs> That's pressure. Feeling <laughs> <Only> the pressure. <laughs> well, you know, she did have some very great points and, and how astute of her to be able to give that kind of guidance and that wisdom, that mentoring, and yet stay humble and obedient through it all. Right. So, well. And and sign the letter, your ladyship's 
unworthy servant and subject. Uh, yes. <laughs> I love that humility. You know, she, she fulfills the, uh, uh, always doing act of humility in all, all your transactions. And, uh, and there's evidence of that in her letters. So, oh my goodness, I can't believe it, but the hour has passed by again so quickly. And, um, so, Lisa, please, would you consider coming back on the program again so we can talk about some more letters? Because there's a lot of letters, and um, I'm sure there's a lot more that we can glean. Uh, so I hope you'll consider coming back with us. I always love talking with you, Francis. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to have to close, but um, I want you to know that next week um, we have a special guest coming who's been on our program before, and we love him dearly, Dr. Tracy Jamison. He is a philosopher, doctor of philosophy, and um, he is going to talk to about um, us. Heaven is for real. I know that movie's out there, and I know a lot of you have been out there seeing it. I saw it, too. I read the book. Um, so he's going to talk about heaven is for real, and, and he has some nice surprises in there for you. So I hope you'll tune in next week to our conversation for our Carmelite Conversations with Dr. Tracy Jamison. And meanwhile, do know that you can go to Facebook and um, be in touch with us at Carmelite Conversations, and also go to www.radiomaria.com. US to find all of our archived programs. So again, I want to thank you, Lisa, for joining us and hope you'll come back. And as we normally do, we want to close with a prayer. So I just ask our listeners to get recollected and look for God's presence within your soul right now as we pray this prayer from St. Teresa Avila's The Book of Her Life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. May you be pleased, my God, that there come a time in which I may be able to repay you even one mite of all I owe you. Ordain, Lord, as you wish, how this servant of yours may in some manner serve you. Fortify my soul and dispose it first, good of all goods and my Jesus, and then ordain ways in which I might do something for you, for there is no longer anyone who can suffer to receive so much and not repay anything. Cost what it may, Lord, do not desire that I come into your presence with hands so empty, since the reward must be given in conformity with one's deeds. Here is my life. Here is my honor and my will. I have given all to you. I am yours. Make use of me according to your will. I see clearly, Lord, the little I'm capable of. But having reached you, having climbed to this watchtower, I see truths. I can do all things, providing you do not leave me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, that's all for now. Thank you again, Lisa. Please, listeners, come join us again next week. Meanwhile, God bless you and keep you. Listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.